Alright, so this is Charles Hyatt from Good News Jamaica and I'm here with Akala and we're just going to talk about, you know, we do, do, do our thing, we just do reasoning and um, we're just going to make, make it flow so we can get some inspiration and things about good Jamaicans doing great things. So, welcome Akala. Bless King, how are you going? There man. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for being you, number one. Right? <laughs> I appreciate that King. But I'm a little confused you know, yeah. because we all get access to information. Right? Mm. We all get, um, we have chance to go get books and all these things, but we don't naturally take everything, internalize it and then spit it out into positivity. Mm -hmm. But you've taken it and turned it into a rainbow of a career. Hip-hop, mm. theatre, mm. books, mm. all kind of things, poetry. Mm. How come? Um, I think some of it was, first of all, thank you. Um, a lot of it was really the luck of my upbringing. So I grew up in England, poor by English standards, uh -huh. but culturally very rich. So I went to a special Saturday school, a Pan-African Saturday school, so a black Saturday school called the Winnie Mandela School. Yeah. Where So when I was five, we was learning about Paul Bogle or Sam Sharp. Or, so I never internalized a lot of the myths about black people for a start. Okay. So you know, like, them teacher Wilberforce set us free and all of this kind of right. nonsense. Right. I knew very early a lot of positive, I knew who market, I, I drew a, uh, my mom still got a school, uh, school picture I drew when I was like seven yeah. and it was a Christmas tree with the UNIA Marcus Garvey thing on top of the Christmas nice. tree, right? And that, I was seven. Um, my stepdad was the stage manager of a, of a theatre in the UK okay. um, called the Hackney Empire, mm -hmm. which is really London's equivalent to the Apollo, to be crude. Okay. It's okay. a black-led theatre in the hood. Okay. But okay. culturally it was, I mean, I met Hugh Masekela, the legendary South African Ooh. jazz musician when I was eight or nine. Nice. I saw uh, Tamani Naptali's production of Black Heroes in the Hall of Fame 50 times. Wow. I did lights for the Russian circus. So, in a way, I mean, it's not just me and us. My older sister, who's a you know big time singer in the UK, and then even my next sister down is a professional stunt woman. Okay. Like she did, she's doing stunts for Game of Thrones right now. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. So, okay. So, our family was very very lucky. Obviously, we still you know we worked hard, and I've chosen to go on and read the things I've read and study. But in a sense. I have to say a lot of it was the luck of being really surrounded by a culturally enriching and kind of very much black uh, conscious Caribbean, it was the Caribbean intelligentsia really, but working class. So my, when my mum got with my dad, uh, her dad was not very happy because right. it was quite racist. Uh -huh. And so my mum got kicked out of the house. But fortunately for me and for her, she was basically adopted by a family of Guyanese socialists. Okay. So obviously they've come from Guyana bringing the traditions of Walter Rodney, bringing the traditions of Eric Williams, bringing the traditions of C.L.R. James and the whole kind of pan-Caribbean socialist tradition. Yeah. And so my mum got kind of inculcated, even as a white woman, yeah. she got brought into that tradition. Yeah, yeah. So by the time she has a picnic them, she has this cultural equipment to be able to share with them via my godfather, who I dedicate my book to and all that. So yes, we worked hard, but a lot of it really, I have to admit, was the environment I grew up in and, and the, 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 the stuff I was given by other people. So, so I want to touch about the Winnie Mandela school. Yeah. I grew up in America. Yeah. I never had no chance of that. Yeah. Right? They, they, the concept of that would never even be allowed. Yeah. Much less. What, what made the African diaspora in England mm. come up with this Pan-African? No, to be fair, I mean, I mean, I don't know where in America you were. Maybe they didn't have it in your city, but like, even if you think in America, they have 
predominantly black institutions, so they have Howard and yeah, but, that's, uh, but they're that's, not they're not radical. They're still through the state. Oh, but, but that's but that's that's college. Yeah, right. Because I went to an HBCU. I went yeah. to Lincoln University. Oh, right. Okay. right. Okay. So. I know about that. Part. But you mean from the Saturday school? Yeah, level? yeah the Saturday school. I, I'm not sure, to be honest. Mm. I, I, I presume there have been similar projects in America, but I don't actually know. But what I will say is, what happened in the UK, right? We, our grandparents basically migrated there after the war. Yeah. Thinking that their children were going to get better opportunities, better chances than they would have had in Jamaica. Thinking they would have access. They basically believed the propaganda. Right. They believed that. Britain would welcome them. A lot of them were war heroes, remember? Yes, of course. So they're thinking they're going to go to this country and get a hero's welcome. Yes, yes, yes. And instead what they got was basically racism from every level of the British society. Right. And the way this manifested in schools, remember Britain is a very unequal society even for white people. Yes, yes. So yes. Jamaicans won't know this, but like, obviously it's not Trenchtown, but there's very poor white neighborhoods in England. Right. Lots of them, like, right. where there's violence and drug addiction and low education and all of the problems, basically the ghetto. There's Ooh. no other way to describe it, right? Okay, okay. When Caribbeans went to Britain, that's who we were put with. We were put in the neighborhoods with poor Irish people, with uh, people that were despised, with people that were poor. Yeah. And, and that came even in the education system. Yeah. Where they would just assume a black kid was dumb and right. put them in the bottom set without right. even testing their intelligence. Okay. So one of the reactions to that was that British Caribbeans set up these Saturday schools to counteract the racism in the school and, and actually the poor quality of the teaching. Remember, if you were a Caribbean in 1960 and you was literate, after 300 years of British rule, you know, they never built enough schools. Right. Only 20% of people was literate. Right. It's only since independence, literacy has spread. So a lot of people in that generation were middle-class civil servants, uh -huh. lawyers, doctors, whatever else. You know, you had some workers, like my grandma was poor, she was from country. Uh -huh. But the Kingstonians who went early, yeah. a lot of them were quite well-educated. Yeah. What that meant was they were going to Britain and being put in poor neighborhoods yeah. and they were actually better educated than some of the poor people they were living with. Uh -huh. um, and so one of their counteractions against this, people like Gus John, who's not from Jamaica, actually he's from Grenada, he was one of the leaders of this. So it was very much a pan-Caribbean movement, it wasn't just Jamaicans. Uh -huh. um, and they set up about 150 of these schools, you know. 150 yeah. there was, there was one in, at, at, at the height, Bernard Cord writes about this. At the height of them, there was about 150. I mean, they weren't big. They were small supplementary schools. When you say when you say small, like five students? No, no, more than that. Like maybe 50 students. You know wow. I mean? So like my one, my one was probably about 50 students. So and even in Jamaica, that type of education we are talking about, it never existed. It still doesn't still, exist. Which is terrible. It is. It is. This is no offense, but I think one of the real big challenges, Jamaica is in many ways a, a cultural superpower in a way that yeah. I feel like people who are not fortunate enough to leave the island often. Yeah. don't recognize other than in england basically yeah. how much goodwill there is in the world for jamaica right how much if something bad happened to jamaica people in thailand would be upset yes. like there's a bob marley museum in thailand i've yes. seen it from my own eyes yes. people around the world love jamaica and they associate jamaica with with peace and love and rastafari right. and reggae music and political consciousness and all of these kind of things here and the jamaican government and the jamaican upper classes are caught in this weird position mm. in my humble opinion right mm. where the cultural jamaica's soft power in the world comes from the jamaican ghetto that's right it doesn't come from the jamaican upper classes right and so they're in this weird position where they want to look down on ghetto people but at the same time they want to benefit from the culture of ghetto true. people. this is not true for any other country every other country they export the culture of the middle and the upper classes yeah. jamaica is in this strange position where you have trench town is the reason the world loves Jamaica. Trenchtown right. is the number one spot for Airbnb. And Absolutely. Some yes. people, you know, it's, it's, yes. it's, you know, it's not black people Airbnb right. in Trenchtown, right? But, but the point I'm making is this. In 2018, there's no reason why in a country with 90% African heritage, 
why decent African history is not taught on school. Mm. I've said this already on my Twitter and I say this still now. Any Jamaican school that wants to write to me and wants a set of good African history books, I will send them at my own cost. And this is a pub I'm saying this publicly. They just email me. I will send my teachers books at my own cost. That's how much I feel this is a travesty that you, you sort of have an, a still in 2018 a generation of African Jamaicans essentially. Mm. And not just Af black Jamaicans, you know? oh, I'm talking yeah. everybody. Everybody. Can yeah. you learn Shakespeare? That's great. Nothing right. wrong with learning Shakespeare. Shakespeare's a brilliant writer. Right. But there were African writers. So if we think of the Tariq Al Fatash, there's a 16th century African, West African history mm -hmm. of Islamic Africa written by an African, contemporaneous with Shakespeare. It, it exists in English translation today. Whoa. Why these things are not being taught in Jamaican schools? Is, 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 to me is, 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 a, is a real damaging oversight because so, it means you grow up almost thinking like the black people came to Jamaica culturally empty-handed whereas mm. everyone else we know Chinese Jamaicans came with culture mm -hmm. we know Scottish Jamaicans came with culture we know Jewish Jamaicans came with culture we know English Jamaicans came with culture but those of us who came from Africa came with what? you yeah, see? It so, it, so yeah. I feel like that really is a of, of, of many of the great things Jamaica has overcome this is one that is still lacking so on that note, yeah, you come to Jamaica often. Come on, every and year you come at least once yeah, a year. Yeah, every year, every right? Year. So, what are you doing um, with this society mm. to in, to impart that type of knowledge? Because mm. I mean, you're a treasure chest of information. Trying to be, trying to. And how do you then impart that on the next generation? Or one of the things I want to do, which I've been, I've been talking to a few people about, we haven't quite gotten the way yet, but I'll put it out there anyway publicly, just in case anyone wants to get involved in some capacity. You know, it's a long-term project, but one of the things I've always been passionate about is trying to build small libraries, even in the remotest areas. So imagine we took on a project. I don't know if there's someone in the state that could help us with this, or UE or someone, and I'd be happy to put into it. Um, but basically building small libraries all over Jamaica. Now imagine every small village like this, like Treasure Beach had one everywhere basically even mm. the small places you, just, mm. you know there's a place you can, basically a house of knowledge where mm. so even if you're not in school and even if you're not fortunate enough to go UE mm. even if you ain't got the money to go Kingston bookshop mm. you just stimulate an all-round intellectual culture right across the, the width and breadth of the island so that everyone who's literate can just go little philosophy club them kind of things there. Mm. it's about access Got enough people if you're living in rural books like books are more expensive here than they are in England true and and the wage differential is you know an average wage yeah, yeah. In, you know what I mean so for an ordinary Jamaican no matter what your intellectual appetite, <laughs> it's very, very difficult to build up your own small library of books. So then like, you think of like 500 books, 400 yeah. books? Maybe even more than that, maybe a thousand. A thousand books is not a big library, you know? Not a big library. But if you had that in 50 locations or 100 locations across Jamaica, think of the type of intellectual, and that's not an expensive project. It's not. Right, a small little room, just nicely decorated, yeah. one person to man it. Yeah. And I mean, public library, but staffed by community. There's loads of publishers I know, like in England, that would donate. So it's something I've been thinking about for a while that I would... That so, I, so, all right. I'm so, talking to a few friends who yeah, are yeah, so in, in positions of influence here. That, that's something I'd like to do over a, a, a sort of long term. So, what would you need to get that started? Um, because you say I'm a man, I'm a man that yeah, say, yeah. let's get it done. Well, right? I think so. you, you would need, you know, probably buying... You wouldn't necessarily, you could po possibly do it independently. But um, if there was like an education minister or a person of that nature, that you had buy-in from or schools that you had buy-in from yeah. just to get the build the small buildings constructed yeah. and then it would just be those of us who are in England we can put money together and ship books because actually for us books are actually relatively cheap in yeah. comparison to wages in yeah. England yeah, they're yeah, very yeah. expensive in comparison to wages in Jamaica right, right. so I mean, it's much easier for us in England to buy 5,000 books yeah. and ship them yeah. than it is for Jamaicans in Jamaica to buy 5,000 books what, what it costs as a percentage of your wages is much much higher right. books are 9 or 10 pounds in England 
and the average wage is £25,000 a year. Books are £25,000 in Jamaica and the average wage is US dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually it would be some us as the Jamaican diaspora in the UK who already send billions of pounds back every year anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, could do with relative ease if we were. Well, we'll talk if there was organisation with people like yourself, with government, with education ministers, with UE, and you could just boom. You well, know that you've got in a dot Jamaica, you've yeah, got, yeah, you yeah, got yeah, a campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And man, you have a campaign, yo, get Jamaica reading. And people yeah. read, people value knowledge. Well, we have read across Jamaica. So right. this is another thing that, I mean, we can yeah. talk more for camera because yeah. I already know my head already moving. It's, yeah, that's been, I, yeah, man, my head has been. It's easy to do. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to do. But um, now, I was talking earlier about your rainbow mm. of, of concentrations. Um, how how did you move into hip hop? I mean, I know you grew up in the culture of hip hop, mm. so you had Wu Tang and you had the mm -hmm. influences there. But how did you decide? You know what? I can do that. I want to do that. Well, because again, culturally, I remember hip hop is a fusion of the Jamaican sound system, of course, and American jazz, Gil Scott Heron right. type poetry. Yeah. That fusion in New York with Cool DJ Herc and all the Jamaicans that went over is, yeah. is what gives birth to hip hop. Well, in England, the situation was kind of similar, but different in the sense that the Jamaican sound system comes to England and it gives birth to its own right. cousins of hip hop, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So the first MC to go to number one in England was Smiley Culture, 1985. Oh, interesting. And he rapped not in American, but Jamaican yeah. and English. Right. Done a song called Cockney Translation, where yeah, he translate. Yeah. Right. So I knew Smiley personally. He's okay. actually my uncle and him. I had the same ex-wife, right? Okay, okay. So I grew up on a sound system. My okay. dad ran a sound. I grew up around, you know, all of the sound systems in the UK. Yeah. So I was always rapping. Uh. In the beginning, so in primary school, I performed Mega Manton, Champion Sound, in yeah, my yeah, primary yeah. school assembly. I grew up on Bounty Killer as much as I did KRS-One. Yeah. I never saw hip-hop as this foreign American thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it as part of the cultures of the black diaspora because uh -huh. so everyone every jamaican's got cousins in new york of course so our cousins in new york would send us a dj clue tape or a red alert tape and it would be in brixton and tottenham the day after it would be in brixton and tottenham before it was in los angeles uh, you see yeah, so in yeah. a way our connection to hip-hop was via new york specifically because right. there were so many jamaicans there so it never felt like this separate american thing it felt like our american cousins yeah. was doing something and yeah. we were sort of related to it um, and so I just always was writing, always writing, 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 and then fortunately I'm of an age where UK hip hop has now gone big. Yes. But 10 years before, if I was born 10 years earlier, the opportunities I have now would have been impossible. The yes, internet, true. basically the British music industry just ignored British rappers. Of course. Then yes. the internet happened, and then can't ignore nobody anymore. Is it? It just blew up too it big. It blew up because you, know? you and, and, and uh, I don't remember the other hip hop guy from, from England that just, it's like, you all were doing this. You know, I can't remember what it Yeah, well, there's loads yeah. now because it's like hip hop and grime. So you got Stormzy, you got Skepta, you got Dave, you got Storms, you got Loki, you got, yeah. you got you no Loki. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you, you, you and Loki was yeah. doing this yeah, man, in the beginning. That, man. Yeah, but yeah. you got a real good scene now, a healthy scene that yeah. you didn't have before. Yes, yes, you know yes. How you move into poetry, bro? Um, well, hip hop is poetry. It's, it's rap is poetry performed over music. Yeah. So I don't feel like I was moving into something. I feel like rap is one form of poetry. So which one came first? Um. Rap, rap. I was Game rapping first before I was writing poetry. Because your poetry music is poetry. Well, I, I I know that from from a very basic point of view. But you see, you take poetry. Yeah. What you specifically how you rap? Yeah. 
is a completely different delivery than how you yeah, do poetry. 100, yeah, 100%. Right? Yeah, 100%, so you study poetry. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And yeah. you deliver poetry as poetry. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Where did that interest come in? Um, again, I think the same thing, having grown up in the theatre, yeah. I always had that exposure to culture. I never felt... So the way it is in Jamaica, in, in England, sorry, the, the a lot of people who grew up poor, yeah. they feel like theatres for the... Basically, theatre is for uptown people. Right, right, it's the same right. equivalent in England, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So we would say posh people. Okay. Whereas I never grew up with that because I grew up in this Caribbean working class led theatre. So yeah. I think it's just about studying the craft and, and, and being the earlier you're exposed to something, the more entitlement you'll feel over it. Uh -huh. And so I never felt intimidated. I just felt like I had the right, essentially. How about the Shakespeare thing now? Yeah. Because when you deliver Shakespeare, mm. it's different. Yeah. Well, again, I think. A lot of the Shakespeare that's done today, mm. that says it's proper, yeah. is not done how Shakespeare, it was done in Shakespeare's time. For example, you know when in, people in England speak like this, very posh, what yeah. they call the Queen's English? Yes. That type of speaking is called received pronunciation. It was not even invented when Shakespeare was alive. It really? was invented 150 years after he died, 200 years after he died. The way people sounded in Elizabethan England, the word hours was pronounced ers, mood was pronounced mood and blood. They sounded like people from the English countryside, rural uh, countryside. Yeah. They, there was no concept of speaking proper yet. Uh. The, my good uh, friends actually, David and Ben Crystal, two top Brit British linguists, uh. they've done a lot of good work on this. It's what's called OP, original pronunciation. Um, and so actually a lot of this posh kind of thing around Shakespeare yeah. is a later Victorian imposition oh. about reinforcing class separate. Shakespeare was popular culture of his day. He was the reggae music of his day. Don't get me wrong, he wasn't revolutionary like reggae music right, politically. He, right, was, right. he was a monarchist and he was in with the establishment. My point is he was the popular entertainment of his day. He wasn't trying to be some big stuck up, posh, poor people can't get it. And it was popular culture. Really? Um, yeah, man. And you know when I taught that? Of course, because it's, it's now used to ba basically make poor people feel stupid. Yeah, exactly. Rather than to, exactly. To, the dude was trying to entertain people. And when you look at the stories, violence, sex, drugs, betrayal, love, lust. Right. It's movie business. It's the same stuff that makes any great story. Right. And instead of teaching it that way, academics often teach Shakespeare as if it was, as if Shakespeare wrote to impress academics. Mm, that's but exactly. not right for them. It's right for the people. So, so for me, I took Shakespeare particularly because, because of the way Shakespeare has been used to say, no nah, man, there's a hundred songs in Shakespeare's place. Yeah. Things that were sung when Shakespeare, when they were performed. Yeah. So I took this to say, if you can teach Shakespeare in a way that is fun, exciting, engaging, it's not about dumbing it down, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. just about, this is supposed to be fun. Yeah. It was popular culture. Then you can do it with anything. And my thing is, you see, think about how we even learn our alphabet. Mm. We learn it by rhyme and rhythm and mm. meter. Mm. So any subject, these are basically the way the human brain works. Rhyme and rhythm and meter help you to memorize mm. stuff. Um, and so I think it's just about giving people that sense of... I don't like this idea of oh, too much reverence for what is supposed to be high culture. Mm. Reggae music is high culture. Mm. In the sense that when a, when a, when a, when a, um, a, 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 a form of art takes on a, a level of philosophical profoundness, mm -hmm. That's what makes it high. Yes. Not yes, yes. whether it's done by upper class people right, or lower class people. Of course, of course. What happens often is art is evaluated based on our perceptions of who is doing it. Mm. When we're 200 years from now, people are going to look back and write about Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and Dennis Brown and Gregory Isaacs and say, wow, these were some of the greatest songwriters of their era. Mm -hmm. They're going to be, look at jazz music. When jazz music was 
contemporary. Yeah. People used to look at jazz music, I'd love to get to people, yeah, yes, my yes, black yes, people. Yes, yes, now yes. we look back on jazz like basically like black classical music. Yes, yes, yes. Is it? Yes. Once we have sufficient distance from reggae, yeah. that is how reggae is going to be looked at. Because True. the philosophical profoundness, the level of songwriting, the level of musical discipline, you hear lots of jazz musicians or classical musicians say reggae is simple. Yeah. Then you ask them to play it. And them can't play can't it because they now have the feeling. Right, them don't have the yes, right. right. So Sorry. how can you say something simple if you can't, can't do it? play it? Exactly. And if you think about think about redemption song. Yeah. I, think, I mean, I mean, you think about even the fact that reggae music would have been one of the greatest musical art forms of the 20th century, even without Bob Marley. Yeah. Even if you remove yeah. Bob Marley, Absolutely. And you're just left with Garnet. Absolutely. You're just left with Dennis. Yeah. You're just left with Peter. Yeah. You're just left with Bunny. Burning Spear. You're still left with Burning Spear, yeah. Ethiopian, yeah. etc. Yeah. You're still left with one of the greatest. Yes. Even without Bob. Yes. And then even if you take Bob, the volume. Yeah. Of he to me is undisputedly the greatest songwriter of the 20th century. Like, yeah. When I the, the closest comparison would be you know Bob Dylan or John Lennon. And, and I think... Well, I kind of I kind of argue with there. I, I, I love Ken Booth. Ken Booth. Yeah. <laughs> but, when but you listen to Ken Booth's original songs, 100%. when he was all about freedom fighting and things yeah, of that yeah, nature, man. Ken Booth was absolutely amazing. 100%. Right? You know, so... But, but this is the point, is that there's yeah. so, Jamaica has produced so many incredible songwriters. Yeah. I don't even think Jamaicans in Jamaica often stop to take stock of it. I mean, just expect think of, it. Think of Bob, Ma Bob Andy. Right. Bob Andy. I mean, we just think it's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People think it up yourself. But even, even, even the dancehall artists. A lot of people look down on dancehall like a slackness. That. But no, when you no. think about it, Bounty Killer. Bounty Killer. Poor Sizzler. people, brother, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the Bounty Killer. Anytime. Look. Uh, all them early songs, fed up, yeah, down in the ghetto. These yeah, are man. political essays on the state of Jamaica. That's true. More, more profound than most of what, no offense, than a whole bunch of dissertations that might come out of UE or the London School of Economics. Yes. When he says, look into my eyes, yes. tell me what you see. Yes. Can you feel my pain? Am I your enemy? Yeah. Give us a better way. Things are really, like, y y um, what's the line when he says, show us hope and we will show you peace. Yeah. So simple. Yeah. But you can write a whole book on that statement. Yes. And so to me, I think, Often, I don't think, which is a good in a way, because you don't want to get carried away with it, but I don't think Jamaicans in Jamaica often take a step back and see what they've really achieved. See. Like, there is no other country in the world that is a poor country that has the problems Jamaica has, that is a cultural superpower. Absolutely. The only two countries in the world that have the level of cultural output, in music particularly, that Jamaica has, are Britain and America. True. And these are the two true. greatest superpowers in the world. Yes, true. That's how much Jamaica has overachieved in this. Yeah. And this is true of the Caribbean as a whole. So I don't yeah. want to look at I don't look at Jamaican exceptionalism. But that said, Jamaica's particular yeah. um, uh, cultural output is just is just phenomenal. And I, f I feel like one of the great challenges now for the Jamaican diaspora in America and Britain and the, the the Jamaicans in Jamaica is to figure out how do we use this enormous goodwill and this enormous cultural output to lift the living standards of the average Jamaican in Jamaica. True. Because a country with this much talented people, with this much smart people, with this much culture should not need to have the problems with poverty and violence that it still has. We can solve these problems. It's true. It's difficult, mm. very, very difficult with the international situation, with neo-colonial economics, with challenges with the IMF and all of that. But I do genuinely believe not if solve, we can certainly, if we, if we, if we strategize enough, make an enormous impact, as already, as already has been the case. True. Alright, so now I want you to look into the camera. Yeah, man. Well, and I want you to tell your message, whatever that message is, 
to the thousands of followers that, that yeah, come on our page yeah and then give them a little inspiration yeah man well my message is always the same big up everybody knowledge is power and i mean value and love for knowledge and and and, and uh love of literature you know we're here at calabash festival and i really feel like the greatest examples in the world you look at someone like mark uh, like malcolm x mm. malcolm x goes from you know a drug dealer a pimp mm. a man who bleaches his head to one of the greatest political figures of the 20th century mm -hmm. that's the impact of knowledge Toussaint Louverture goes from a, a, a former slave to a slave owner to a revolutionary against slavery mm -hmm. because of the power of knowledge and so you know knowledge literally transforms human beings and, and, and that would be my main thing is just cultivating and developing a, a, a love for knowledge and, and we already have it you know I was looking at the Glean a couple of days ago and some young girls made the next stage of the international spelling bee yes, yes and then yes. they're on the front page yes know? so there's already that nerdy not there's already you know jamaicans are quite nerdy yeah and, and, and that's not something the rest of the world really knows yeah and so i think it's just about cultivating that natural curiosity and, and nerdiness so knowledge is power big up everybody